Please send Mashiach now. I want to go back to Parsha Achare Mot, and I would like to talk about entering into the Kadosh Kodashim, the Holy of Holies. So, <clears throat> I was looking in the Midrash says for a couple of insights just to kind of brush up on some of the Midrash on the Parsha this week. I realized I was doing a lot of podcasting on Kedoshim, and I was like, what about a Kare Mo? Man, it's Torah portion going in. But anyway, so in um, the Midrash says for Vayikra, it starts on page 179 for Kare Mot, which again, this is the Torah portion about after the death, namely after the death of two Zadakim. Nadav and Avihu, which is our father who freely offers when you put their name together in a phrase. So after the death of our father who freely offers, we're going to talk about Yom Kippur. And what I love about the Peshat of that, just on a very simple level, we are free to enter into Yom Kippur through the death of our father who freely offered himself. And, you know, it's always been kind of a interesting thing that, you know, well, we got Yeshua, so we're atoned and we're all good. But yet you read something like this in the Corbin note and you're like, what? And it's like, yeah. OK, so in the Corbin note, there's this offering called the Tamid offering, which, by the way, is two lambs that are considered to be one. And they represent the son who was bound on the altar. So this is some Midrashim uh, connections here. It's like a Pasikta Ribati drop. And basically, all of the Korbanot, whether it's a free will, peace offering, grain offering, uh, sin offering, whole burnt offering, any of those, they're all found in the Tamid offering. The Tamid offering means the everlasting offering, by the way. And when you go back to the Akedah, the Akedah is an everlasting offering. The one where Abraham binds his son Yitzhak. So I'm going to read to you from the Art Scroll Sidur. And it says, the Akedah is the story of the most difficult challenge to Abraham's Imuna in Hashem. He was commanded to sacrifice Yitzhak, his beloved son and sole heir to God. When you look at that word, it says, Ben Yehida Asher Ahavta, your only begotten son whom you love. And it goes on to clear it up at Yitzhak, the Aleph Tav Yitzhak. And it's important to know that Yitzhak means laughter. So there shall be laughter. And the one who told us, don't mourn for me, behold, I make all things new. And, you know, for the joy set before him, he endured his sacrifice so that he could bring us the ultimate joy. Namely, that of being free from the bounds of death. And that's already rooted in the Akedah. And yes, I'm talking about Mashiach Yeshua, as I'm 
elucidating Yitzhak. So what you need to do, actually, is overlay Mashiach Yeshua's crucifixion with the Akedah. The Midrash Rabbah on this section of the Torah actually says that Abraham put the wood on Yitzhak so that he would be like one who bears his own crucifixion stake. It literally says that. So going on, it says, Father and son jointly demonstrated their total devotion. You know, Mashiach Yeshua says, not my will, but your will be done. So father and son, total devotion. Yep, that's the Akeda. That's also the Tamid offering. So it says, the Kabbalistic masters from Zohar to Arizal have stressed the great importance of daily recitation of the Akeda. In response to their writings, the Akeda has been incorporated into the great majority of Sidurim. Although it is not recited in all congregations, in some it is individually recited, you know, so you can have your personal Lord and Savior. But anyway, it says it is recited individually rather than as a part of the public morning service. And some do not recite it on the Shabbat and festivals. The Zohar records that this recitation of Abraham and Yitzhak's readiness to put love of God ahead of itself, ahead of life itself, is a source of heavenly mercy. This right here, it says this recitation of Abraham and Yitzhak's readiness, like the father and son who bound themselves together as one because they both submitted to one another. Abraham is normally chesed. Yitzhak is normally gevura, but Yitzhak became chesed and Abraham became gevura because Abraham had to offer his son and Yitzhak had to be willing to be offered. So they literally changed roles as far as the Midot go. And it says that their readiness to put love of God, you know, there's no greater love than this, than one would lay his life down for that person whom he loves. So it goes on to say they put love of God ahead of life itself is a source of heavenly mercy whenever Jewish lives are threatened. Avodat HaKodesh comments that the Akedah should inspire us to attain greater love of God and to follow the example of Abraham and Yitzhak. Arizal teaches that the, that the recitation brings atonement to someone who repents sincerely. <clears throat> Before I finish that, just want to point out, it's the same thing with Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur itself is a day of atonement. Like, just by just by observing Yom Kippur, there's atonement. But Yom Kippur does not atone if you do not make teshuva. So if you're just walking into Yom Kippur and don't want to be forgiven, and you don't want to forgive, that's not going to work. And especially if you're not going to be changed by the experience. If you don't mean your prayers, if you don't mean your fasting and your weeping before Shem, if you don't mean beating your chest, if you're just going through the motions and you have no investment in it, then it does not bring atonement. Now, think about that with the Messiah Yeshua. 
that if you live the same way you live before you embrace the offering of the Messiah and cleave and attach yourself to him, then, uh, you know, his offering is invalid for you because his offering is meant to spur us on to Teshuvah, which means returning back to Torah and walking in righteousness and holiness. So just remember that, uh, and especially if we're reciting the Akedah, just to recite it and think, oh, we're going to get heavenly mercy and we're going to get life protection and we're going to get um, atonement for our sins. Well, the thing is, if you're not really being a person of teshuva, if, you're not, if you have no repentance in your heart whatsoever, then uh, you're wasting your time. So, goes on to say, for he identifies himself with the two patriarchs who placed Loyalty to God above all other considerations. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, or shall we say his righteousness? Because remember, the kingdom is called the Torah. Slika. That was brought down in the Tehillim Drosh from last week. So the Tehillim for Parsha Tazria Medzora gets into talking about the Torah is the kingdom. And because I was so turned up, I put it on Instabam. So you can go to my Instabam page, which is shomer.man uh, on Instagram. So back to the Tamid, because again, we start off with the Akeda and then we go into the Corbinote. And one of the things that I want to bring up, actually, I'm going to go to this because Benny B did a great job bringing this down. Let's see here. I'm going to start with Parsha Bo because I believe that is the first time I saw this. Um, Let's see here. If it's not that, then I think it's definitely going to be the Akeda drop that he did. All right, Brukashem, here it is. This is from Parshabo Pasikta de Rab Kahana Piska 6.4. So what I want to say is that this is the source of the Midrash that teaches how all of the sacrifices are found in the Akedah, which is the Tamid offering, which is the binding of Isaac, which is the binding of Mashiach. Notice how the two sons of promise or the, the two sons who are the one and only begotten sons are both offered by the father. And those two correlate to the two lambs. One correlates to the morning lamb. One correlates to the afternoon lamb, but they're considered one, which is why when you read, uh, the, the Pesachim tractate or Shabbat 89 B tractate, Brukashem, that, um, Yitzhak was called everlasting father by Israel because he was the one who sacrificed himself for their sake, you know, and he said, don't look at me, look at Hashem. Hashem is your father. And then we said, oh yeah, Hashem, you're our father. And the same thing with Mashiach. He's like, don't look at me. I I offered myself on your behalf, but it was only through the will of the father because Messiah Yeshua only did what the father willed. If the father didn't will it, 
Mashiach didn't do it. So that means that Messiah offering himself as a sin or offering himself for the sins. There we go. Of the whole entire world for every generation for all time. Another um, drop from Messiah text basically is where that comes from. That is saying he didn't do that on his own. He says, I lay my life down willingly because I had to do exactly what Yitzhak did because I'm doing exactly what my father did. You realize that the two temples, by the way, which correspond to the two lambs, were also freely offered by the father because now that the temples are destroyed, it's considered as if Hashem himself suffers. So why are we praying for a temple? We're praying for Hashem's suffering to end which means redemption. So when you think about that, you have these two that are really one, but they all represent Hashem, which represents the 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 morning lamb and the after lamb, the two temples, Mashiach and Yitzhak. So, okay, now that we've established that, Pasikta de Rab Kahana, Pisca 6-4, says, concerning the meaning of Kevasim, the he-lambs, from Bamibar, which is Numbers 28.3, the Talmudim of Shammai and the Talmudim of Hillel differ. That right there is going to be a key phrase for yes. The answer is yes. The answer is both. The beautiful thing about the Talmud is that these disputes are for the sake of heaven and what they're actually doing is revealing more and more facets of a single truth. So, the Talmudim of Shammai read Kebasim as though it is written Kebasim. So they read Kebasim, Slika, as Kebasim, which is that they put out of sight. That is, that the daily offering of the lambs, the Tamid, the Akedah, the destruction of the temples, which, by the way, were predestined, by the way, because if you read Bahatorim on Bereshit, the first chapter, he goes into how we already knew that the first temples were the, the two temples are going to be destroyed. So anyway, it says that uh, these daily offerings of these lambs brings about that God puts Israel's iniquities out of sight. As the verse tells us, he will put out iniquities he will put our iniquities out of sight, which is Yikbot from Micah 7.19. But the Talmudim of Hillel said, the phrase Kevasim B'nai Shana, the he lambs of the first year, Bamibar, Numbers 28.3, same verse, is to be understood as though written, Kevasim B'nai Shana that they cleanse the things which are of many a year. You mean like the Day of Atonement? So it's like it's either going to be daily atonement or once-a-year atonement, whether it's the daily Tamid offering or whether it's the Yom Kippur goat or whether it's the Pesach lamb, which, by the way, the two are one. Talked about that. And um, I don't remember what podcast it was. uh the connection of Yom Kippur and Pesach and the two goats because the the Zohar was bringing down about the 10th of Nisan and the 10th of Tishrei and how one is dependent on the other. So there, that's something that's ridiculous. But anyway, 
So here it is with the two lambs. We're still talking about the two or one. So they're going to put out of sight our iniquities daily and also that they're going to cleanse us yearly. So daily and yearly cleansing. It says it is to be understood as though written. They cleanse the things which are of many a year. That is the daily Corbanote cleanse the sins of Israel. As it is said, though your sins may be as many of a year, they shall be white as snow. That's from Yeshiahu Isaiah 118. And Ben Azai said, the phrase Kevasim B'nai Shana means that they cleanse the sins of the people of Israel and make them as innocent as an infant in its first year. Okay, so now we're born again. Seriously? Through the Korbanot, through the Akedah, through the Tami, through Mashiach, through Yitzhak, through the two temples being destroyed, we're made like newborns. And you throw in exile on top of that, which atones for all sins. Okay, so we got redemption on redemption on redemption on redemption on atonement on atonement on atonement on atonement. Like, that's insanity, man. Are you serious? Hashem is like so full of grace like that. Why are we believing in this New Testament stuff? You know, I was going to say nonsense, but it did come from a person who had nonsense. You know, just calling a square square. And, you know, uh, the person who came up would say, hey, let's have a New Testament. And let's let's, you know, let's do do away with the, the angry, wrathful God. I mean, you miss all this information if you line yourself with that theology. But if you understand that the covenant was renewed and that covenant and testament are two totally different words. So therefore, the writings that are in what's commonly called the New Testament, they're actually I mean, we call it the Brit Hadashah colloquially so that it will be easier to understand it. But actually, we should just see that they're leading us back to the Torah. So they are post biblical writings, if you will. Because the true Bible is the Tanakh. You know, if you have a problem with that, then you need to talk to the men of the great assembly. So because they're the ones who came up with that stuff. And, you know, those people have books of the Bible. They said here, this is what should be the Bible. And the very people who wrote and the letters like the apostles and the gospels, they always talked about scripture. And every time they mentioned scripture, they were talking about the Tanakh. So that doesn't denigrate any of these writings. That doesn't denigrate the Gospels. Because, again, you have the Torah made flesh speaking. So just think about that for a second. And then when you get to the account of Acts, when you get to the uh, the letters of Shaul and the letters of Kepha and Yochanan and Yaakov and Yehuda. Uh, and whoever the anonymous writer of the Hebrews is, and um, hopefully I'm not missing anybody. Thinking, thinking, thinking. Ah, well, yeah, Shaul wrote the letter to Philemon anyway. So, yeah. All right. So those people, that doesn't denigrate their writings at all. So it's just a matter of perceiving and understanding how you prioritize looking at what we normally call the word of God. And again, if you have that understanding, now you can put everything in its proper perspective. So you can look at acts 
like a works of Josephus type writing. You can look at the letters of Shaul like Rashi commentary. You can look at the work, the writing of Kepha, who, by the way, if you're going to listen to anybody, you need to listen to him and especially Yaakov. So, I mean, among those two people, or those three people I just mentioned, you definitely want to make sure Kepha is your go-to guy because Mashiach said, this is the lead guy. Everybody follow his step. And the actual leader that got put in place was Yaakov. So, you know, he was he was like the go-to guy. So, like, him and Kepha one and two punch right there. And don't forget Yehuda, the letter of Jude. Okay, yeah, him and Yeshua are from the same household. They slept in the same room. They sat at the same Arab Shabbat table. They watched their same Ema light Shabbat candles. So, when we really get into Shaul, I mean, we need to really kind of back that back a little bit and get some perspective so that we can properly engage that because you find that the the more acquainted with Torah and oral Torah you are, written Torah and oral Torah, you find that Shaul's writings are just overflowing with rabbinic isms. So anyway, uh, that was a big rabbit trail to just let you know that uh, Hashem makes us born again from the Korbanot, which is really found in the Akedah. So talk about atonement. It says, and Ben Azai said, the phrase Kebusim B'nai Shana means that they cleanse the sins of the people of Israel and make them as innocent as an infant in its first year. Each lamb will serve as an advocate for Israel on the day of judgment. Hallelujah, that we will have an advocate that's eternal and everlasting. Pasikta de Rab Kahana Pisca 6.4 now, the, the proper mentality to have with this is that this is not something that we were worthy of. And again, none of that applies if we're not walking into Shuvah. So are we doing the best we can or are we just sitting back and kicking back and going, OK, I'm pointing to the lamb. I'm just pointing. It's like, yeah, well, how are you living, though? What's the point of your living? You know, so just kind of think about that. Say la. But we read in the Tamid offering, may it be your will out on our God and the God of our forefathers that you have mercy on us and pardon us for all our errors. Atone for us all our iniquities. Because mm, that's what this does. So just want to point that out. We read that and it's true that we have atonement, we need atonement, but we have to be people who walk in Teshuva. So, get everything queued up here to make sure I don't, because I got so much stuff everywhere. All right. Akaremot, back in the Midrash, page 179, this again, the Midrash says, by the way, if you don't have this, uh, this is uh, published by B'nai Yaakov Publications. Uh, it's a five-book set. Uh, this would be the most intro beginner to the Midrashim and Talmud, Mishnah type stuff uh, that you can get. However, 
don't downplay this as a children's book. And by the way, the little Midrash says, yeah, that's right. The little Midrash says, like the children's book version, uh, is even more violent than what I'm reading right now. So, uh, Bezrat Hashem, that'll be my next investment. But anyway, just like that weekly parasha, I mean, if you haven't got the weekly parasha from Art Scroll, goodness, it's ridiculous. Okay, anyway, looks like a coloring book, and it's just like, why are you so lethal? It says, on the first of Nissan, <coughs> on the first of Nissan, so Rosh Hodesh, the Rosh Hodesh of all Rosh Hodesh, I mean, besides uh, Rosh Hashanah, because we actually celebrate that for two days instead of one. But on Rosh Hodesh Nisan, following the deaths of Nadav and Avihu, Hashem told Moshe to warn the Kohanim not to enter the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting, which, by the way, is Sangamatria is Yosef or Zion. So, yeah, the Messiah ben Yosef, the suffering servant, where all the sacrifices are offered up at. Yeah, that place. Okay. Unless they are... Per Unless they were performing a specific service. So don't just waltz all up in there like that. You know, there needs to be some specific that you're here to do. And that service is based off of what were you commanded. Okay, side note, I just looked over to my left and it said this. Someone who performs abortions... He thereby contradicts the creator's occupation for he constantly busy. He is constantly busy bringing new life, new living beings into the world. That's the Holy One, blessed be he is doing that. So the abortion person is contradicting Hashem's occupation it says as a result of this sin, the Shekinah withdraws and affliction by the sword, pestilence and famine ensues. Well, that's what I get for looking to my left. Sorry. Okay. Um. Yeah. So, moreover, although he was the Kohen Gadol, Kohen Hagadol, Aaron was cautioned not to enter the Holy of Holies except on the day of Yom Kippur. And even only for the specific or only for the performance of a service there. So... Check this out. According to the Shela and Vilna Gaon, the Kohen Gadol was permitted to enter the Kodesh HaKodashim any time during the year, provided he first offered the requisite sacrifices. So there's been this thought that Bezrat Hashem we're going to get into because it's about this coming boldly into the Holy of Holy stuff. That, okay, if you want to do that, there are some uh, prerequisites that have to be met. And again, are you the Kohen Gadol? Because that's kind of a big deal. Or are you Moshe? Because it says disregarding these prohibitions would ent entail the heavenly death penalty for unnecessarily entering the Holy of Holies. And you get flogged for unnecessarily entering the Kodesh which is the holy place. Why did Hashem issue these commands right after the tragic deaths of the Dav and Avihu? Here is a parable. Hmm, who teaches like this? 
A certain chain smoker left all the way or left away all his physician's warnings to quit smoking. One day, though, his doctor telephoned him to relay shocking news. Do you remember your old school friend, Mr. XY? He asked him. I certainly do, replied the man. Well, said the doctor. He was also a heavy chain smoker. Last night, I was called to his bedside because he had severe fits of coughing and was unable to fall asleep. It was too late. He passed away two hours later. No further admonition was necessary. The man never touched another cigarette. In a similar vein, Hakadosh Baruku, which is a shem, chose precisely this time to warn Aharon and the Kohanim never to approach the Mishkan of their own accord. Now, in my little margins, I put Romans ten three, Devarim six twenty five, Yeshayahu fifty one eleven. Now, let's check those out real quick because. These are just some incredible uh, drops. So let's start with the Romans 10.3. It says, since they did not know the righteousness of God, i.e. that which comes from the Torah, they sought to establish their own, i.e. they make stuff up, MSU. They did not submit to God's righteousness, i.e. God's Torah. Now, What's interesting about this, if you back up for a second in Romans 8, it says this. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. The mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and shalom. By the way, that literally is covenant. Midrash Rabbah Vayikra uh, for this week's Torah portion in Akari Mot. Uh, that it says that the Kohen wears eight garments in the merit of circumcision, which is life and shalom. And the life and shalom of the circumcision is what is the covenant that we enter into with Hashem. Let me just read that. This this was uh this blew my mind. So stand by Romanos. You could just go to the page this i mean life and shalom and the covenant are you serious okay so it's 2110 vayikra rabbah which is midrash rabbah vayikra 2110 2110 10 says rav rabbi hanina and rabbi yehoshua ben levi the colleagues of the sages said why does the kohen gadol serve in the temple with eight vestments rather it is corresponding to the circumcision, which is performed at eight days into a child's life. Thus, it is written, my covenant was with him. Oh, life and shalom. Didn't we just just read that? The the mindset of the spirit, the righteousness of God, because I mean, that's what we're all talking about. It says, oh, yeah, Romans 8, 6. The mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and shalom. So wait, the life in Shalom is the mindset of the spirit, which leads us into Torah? Hmm, never thought about it like that. So the spirit leads us, but it leads us into Torah. So when we're spirit-led, let me get this right. 
when we're spirit-led, we're led in life and shalom, which by uh, just so happens to be, not coincidence, that life and shalom is the Torah, is the covenant of God, namely circumcision. Well, that's that's crazy, because whoever teaches like to be filled with the spirit is to be filled with the Torah, to be walking in the righteousness of God, to believe in God and be considered righteous. It's like, well, by your belief in God, you're now accessible now made accessible to you is the Torah, because if you don't believe in God, by the way, the Torah does you no good because because you're reading something and it's like. You don't even accept the author, which if you can't accept the author, you can't accept the book. If you can't accept the book, you can't accept his people. Oh, wait. We just read about this in Parashat Kedoshim that the Torah, Hashem, and our neighbor, they're all one. So that's why Hashem says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself, because that's the Torah. So you love Hashem, you love Torah, you love your neighbor. So the spirit is supposed to lead you to do that. And therefore, if you are a person of life and shalom, you're filled with the spirit, which means you operate in the Torah. So it says in the footnote. First, I'm going to read this. The first footnote, it says the eight vestments was to recall the merit of circumcision, which is performed on the eighth day. If you go back to my last week drop from uh, Shonef Pincus on Parsha Tazria. He was saying that when you do the circumcision, that you actually link up with all of Israel all the way back to Abraham. So therefore, circumcision is likened to the whole entire Torah and circumcision uh, causes uh, you to be one with Abraham. So everything that applied to Abraham applied to you and everything that Abraham lived for is imputed to you when you enter in through circumcision. So many people don't want to get circumcised, but yet they want to serve the God of Abraham. So that's interesting. Probably want to fix that. Okay, it says, This merit stood by the Kohen Gadol when he entered the sanctuary, protecting him from being harmed by the angels that were present there. Goodness gracious. So now you're protected from being harmed by the angels. So that's interesting. And it says, because the, the angels are chilling, apparently, in the, the holy place. And remember, if you enter the holy place and you're not supposed to, then you get flogged. So it's like, do you get harmed by angels or do you get flogged? The answer is yes. All right. So the word uh, for flogging is, by the way, makot, which is the same word as plagues. And remember, if you go back to the understanding of the plagues in Egypt, you know, Parsha Vayera and Parsha Bo, that the angels were the ones who brought the plagues. And Hashem himself brought the 10th plague. So, yeah. Flogging, plagues, uh, harmed by angels, that, that kind of stuff happens. If you're not in covenant with Hashem and uh, the merit of the circumcision uh, is not surrounding you, uh, though that if you're the merit of circumcision is not surrounding you, then you leave yourself open for that. Says the Yefe Toar explains that this is not referring to the time when the Kohen Gadol entered the Holy of Holies, uh, 
because, as will be discussed below, he did not do so while wearing his usual eight garments. Rather, it refers to the times when he entered the outer sanctuary. Even there he required protection, as there were angels present, and they were like they were more likely to harm the Kohen Gadol due to his prominence than an ordinary Kohen entering the the sanctuary. Therefore, the Kohen Gadol wore eight vestments in order to recall the merit of circumcision. However, he entered the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. When he entered the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, he could not wear all eight vestments because that would recall the golden calf is what they talked about below. Nevertheless, the merit of circumcision stood by him and protected him as derived in section six. And what I wrote out in the margins that, yeah, at that point, he's covered by the merit of Yom Kippur. Because remember, Yom Kippur is also an atonement. Also goes back to the the Corbinote and the uh, Akedah and things like that. Which, by the way, when a father offers his son to the Moel to do the circumcision, it's likened to the Akedah. Because you bring all the sacrifices when you sacrifice your son. Or when you get your son circumcised. So the circumcision is considered to be a sacrifice of all sacrifices. So that's interesting. So yeah. You mean to tell me that the eight vestments recall the merit of the circumcision so the Kohen Gadol can be safe from the angels just by going into the holy place. But on Yom Kippur, which is in the merit of circumcision because uh, Pirkei Rebbeyev Azer brings down Abraham was circumcised on Yom Kippur so that's actually the blood that we are crying out for Hashem to look at during Yom Kippur, which is the blood that's sprinkled on the ark, which is really the Yom Kippur goat. So that's interesting, the bull and all that. So, yeah, hmm. Abraham's circumcision was likened to all of the Corbinot. Hmm. Okay, so that merit protected the Kohen Gadol. Why he was just wearing the all white garments. Okay. So, at that point, you have the four garments that every uh, Levite wears, and that's what the Cohen had to dress down to. And now you have the four aspects of Hashem's divine name clothing him. So he's still wearing eight vestments, technically, because now he's going in the name of Hashem to the holy of holies so now he's got like a super suit on even though he dressed down because contrary to how we think in the physical world if you want to have uh more protection then you need to put on more layers and shem's like no put on less lower yourself he who humbles himself will be exalted so that happened okay so foot the next footnote says according to the preceding verse the preceding verse is discussing the tribe of Levi in general. This verse is understood as referring to Aharon in particular. The Midrash interprets the covenant of the verse as referring to circumcision, which God calls my covenant. In Bereshit 17.9, Genesis 17.9, thus... The Malachi verse indicates that the covenant of circumcision provided life and shalom. And that is the spirit. 
brought down by Shaul Hashliach. He says, living by the Spirit is life in Shalom. Which is Hashem's covenant, namely the covenant of circumcision. So it says, provided life in Shalom for Aaron and subsequent Kohanim Gedolim as well by protecting him from harm when he entered the sanctuary. Eight Yosef. Again, that's Midrash Shabbat 2110. Awesome clothing stuff to take us back to our Romans 8 and Romans 10. So, you live according to the Spirit, it's life and shalom, because the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the flesh cannot please God. Don't you know that it says, um, let's see, where is this at? Go, I'm switching over to my other suit to say this. There is a passage in Hebrews. Oh yeah, you can't please God without Imuna. So that's from the letter to the Hebrews uh, 11.6. And when you look at that, what it's saying that the Imuna is your faithfulness to God, which would be walking in his Torah, which is the life in Shalom, which is the righteousness of God that you submit yourself to when you walk by the Spirit. That's interesting. Never would have thought Hebrews 11.6 matches uh, Romans 8.8, 8, which is covenant, circumcision, Life and shalom, walking by the Spirit. Goes on to say, verse 9, how You, however, you, however, are controlled not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Mashiach, which is the Spirit of the Torah, i.e. the letter of the law and the, the oral part of the law. That's the Spirit of Mashiach, by the way. Because, you know, the spirit of Mashiach is what prophecy consists of, which is the ability to gain insight and revelation from the written Torah. Which is what all of this Midrash and Jewish stuff is, all the rabbinic stuff. That's all, it's all some uh, spirit of Mashiach stuff. It's prophesying, which is different from being a prophet. It goes on to say... And if anyone does not have the spirit of Mashiach, he does not belong to Mashiach. You know, there are many people who could care less about the Torah. And that's because they don't belong to the Messiah. There are many people who could care less about the Torah. And that's because they do not belong to the Messiah. You know, if you jump off the roof of the Empire State Building, like the little uh, pointy top of it. If you jumped off that, no parachute, no uh, no no wings. Even if you could manufacture your own, if you jumped off of that, you would die, right? I mean, unless a miracle happened, you you'd be pretty much dead. So what I'm saying is, just as it is impossible to jump off the Empire State Building and live. That's how impossible it is to say that you belong to the Messiah, you believe in him, you trust in him, you walk with him, but yet you could care less about the Torah. 
that that shows that you don't really believe in the Messiah. And if you do believe in, in the Messiah, you believe in a false one. Or because we need to judge favorably, even though I kind of failed on that. So Slika, because I need to put I need to judge favorably first. Right. You know, lead out with favorable judgment, even though. Yeah, anyway. So. Unless you believe in the Messiah and you don't know that you're supposed to care about the Torah. Then, you know, that's something which I pray is really the thing, you know, because so for 2000 years, that's been the case. People believe in the Messiah, care less about the Torah. And it's like that that shows that you don't believe in the Messiah that shows that you don't belong to him. So is are, are are you believing in the right person or, you know, what's going on here? Who's on first? So anyway, that's something to think about and really uh, work with. It says, but if the Mashiach is in you, your body is dead because of sin. So let me get this straight. In the the uh, the Ohel Moet, the tent of meeting, the Mishkan tabernacle. Inanimate things were made alive by the presence of God. Namely, I'm talking about the two angels on the top of the ark. In the temple, I'm talking about the golden fruits that King Shlomo etched into the walls and they actually grew and gave off a beautiful fragrance of an apple orchard. Oh, you mean like Gan Eden? Okay, yeah. Because the temple is basically Gan Eden on earth manifest. It's built where Gan Eden is, really. But anyway, without digressing. So, bring that down to us that our flesh really is inanimate, like it's it's dead. But yet you and I walk around in the flesh. Oh, because Hashem breathed his spirit into us. So now we regard no one the same that we used to because the spirit of Hashem dwells in every single human being because if not we would be dead so though we were dead in our trespasses Hashem made us alive in the Messiah so wait there are people walking around in sin right now they don't they're not in covenant but yet their inanimate flesh is alive and moving around that right there just goes to show the the grace of Hashem that he brings life to to the dead. And we always talk about the souls of the living and the souls of the dead are in his hand, right? So why does Hashem say your fellow man is your neighbor and that we need to love our neighbor like we love ourselves? Well, that's because Hashem's spirit is there and it's proof because they're walking around. Now, when Hashem takes his spirit back from our flesh, obviously that's when we die, right? So what I'm getting at here is how most times or most times, not most times, 
in the case of people who are not aware of Hashem and they want to say that he doesn't exist, they don't want to be in Torah, they're negating their very reality is the point, which is just mind boggling to me because every baby, all of us, before we were born, we were taught the whole entire Torah. So therefore, all mankind needs to repent because we were all taught what we need to be doing. And if we're not doing what we were taught, then that's the repentance action, which is returning back to that. So this is why the Torah is for everybody, because Hashem's like, Listen, look, I, I breathe into you. I taught you the Torah. Your very existence is saying that the spirit of Messiah is in you. So potentially all mankind could do it. At this point, if we're not doing it, that is walking in the Torah and being with Hashem and stuff and bringing his glory and revealing his oneness in creation, just a few things like that, that if we're not doing that, we're, we're playing games. We're doing the exact same thing we did in the temple in front of Hashem's face that led to the temple being destroyed and darkness coming into the world. You know, medieval times, dark ages, crusades, inquisitions, all that happened because we didn't have a temple. I digress. So, yeah, when we were in the temple with Hashem, because reading in the right, the account of Jeremiah, especially if you read the art scroll on Jeremiah, oh my gosh, like even just the preface alone is ridiculous. We set up idols in front of Hashem's face. We prayed with our back facing or prayed with our back to the Holy of Holies. So we were actually facing away from Hashem when we were praying, which is a big no-no, by the way. That's why we face the ark or we face east. Or face toward Jerusalem if you're in other parts of the world. Uh, side note, Bezrat Hashem, I uh, get to make Aliyah to Israel with the redemption, if not sooner. And uh, I want to live in the area of Berea, B-I-R-I-Y-A. And uh, that is north of Jerusalem. So therefore, in Berea, I would actually be praying towards the south. Which I'm just going to be like, oh, that's legit. But anyway, uh, just little extra information that you probably did not want to know, but I just want to divulge it to you because we're talking about praying towards Hashem. So as mankind, if we're actively walking in rebellion and wickedness and by the power, under the power of the prince of the air, which is rebellion to Torah and not being repentant and being in covenant and stuff, we're basically doing the same thing that we did that led to the destruction of the temple, which was we set up idols, we uh, pray with our back to Hashem, we... Uh, we don't even give full service to God. And so we're literally walking in uh, judgment. That's why judgment is coming. The day of judgment is a thing that has to happen, which is why the longer we pray to stay in exile, because, you know, by not praying for the redemption, you're praying to stay in exile. Then you're giving more time for more judgment to incur accrue. So heaping up judgment because the more mankind obviously working hand in hand with not informing everybody and not living this out to everybody because the best way to inform is to show right it's like don't tell me what this can do for me show me what this can do for me i used to work for cutco cutlery that knife company and it's like amazing but uh it was like you need these knives they're they're really good for you and it's like, why do I need these knives? Why are these knives different from all other knives? And it's like, well, here, you got a piece of leather. One slice cut straight through the letter. leather. Now, you know, obviously you take a steak, liken to leather, 
use a cutco knife, boom, you're done. You ain't got to worry about all that working your arm out like you're sawing down logs. Anyway, we like being shown that things are awesome, you know, right? So anyway, same thing with goes with Hashem. So people need to know all mankind is welcome to come into covenant with Hashem and to know that if you're not coming into covenant with Hashem, then you are really pushing Hashem uh, into, you're not pushing him into anywhere really, but you're, you're basically bringing judgment upon yourself and uh, through unrepentance, you're hardening your heart and you're closing the very creator out of your life, which is what we did in the temple, by the way. We closed Hashem out of it, and we thought, no, our temple's never going to be destroyed. Hashem's like, you don't think your temple's going to be destroyed? You're doing all this other stuff in there. Like, it's not even your temple anymore. It's not even my temple anymore. Why is it even here? Let's just move that out the way. You know, and that's what happened. So, verse 10, if the Mashiach is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Where does the righteousness come from? The righteousness comes from Hashem, which is the breath of Hashem breathed into us, which is the Torah. There's fragments of Torah in us, basically, is what I'm saying. We're all walking around like broken tablets. And then when we come into covenant with Hashem, he resurrects us anew. And so we're waiting on our sapphire tablet bodies, if you will. So, anyway. Says that if the spirit of him who raised Messiah from the dead is living in you, he who raised Mashiach from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. All right. So all that to say, coming into the Holy of Holies on our own accord, that's exactly what Nadab and Abihu did. And that's exactly what the beginning of a car remote is teaching us. Don't do your own thing. So now I'm supposed to read uh, Romans 10, 3. I read that. Now I want to read Devarim 6, 25 and see if uh, He's Kuni has anything for us. All right. Devarim 6, 25. 25, 25, 25. All right. He's Kuni, what you got? Because it says, it will there it will be therefore to our merit before God. Hmm. It'll be to our merit, which I believe is Zikut. Let me check. V oh wow. Wow. That okay, it doesn't even it don't even say that in the Hebrew. Snap. Uh, it says righteousness it shall be unto us. Wow. So the English says it will therefore be to our merit, but literally utsdaka tiyelanu. 
and righteousness it shall be unto us. Wow. Ki nishmor la asot et kol ha-mitzvah. Wow. If we faithfully do observe, uphold, et kol ha-mitzvah, the whole mitzvah, the Torah is one mitzvah, namely the mitzvah of Ahava, which is love. Yep, the Shema and the love your neighbors, you love yourself. Yeah, that, you know, Kedoshim type stuff. Which, by the way, Kedoshim is considered to be a recounting of the Ten Commandments. Anyway, Bezrat Hashem, if I can get through <laughs> sources, I can get to that. But, oh man, another Kedoshim podcast. Gotta love it. Uh, anyway, righteousness it shall be to us if we faithfully uphold the Torah. So, Doing the Torah is not our righteousness, but through faith, doing the Torah brings us righteousness. There's a big difference in that because many people think, oh, are you trying to get saved? You're trying to work for your salvation. It's like, no, no, no. I know I'm already saved. That's why I'm doing the Torah. So that's not really a question we need to ask. What we need to ask is the implications of you not observing the Torah, because that insinuates and implies and infers that you not have a relationship with Hashem. And you don't belong to the Messiah, which is another thing that's not good. So either there's a confusion there or there is just an outright rebellion there, which, again, that leads to the destruction of the temple. That's not good. Anyway, this is ridiculous because the Midrash just says this on page 180. In a similar vein, Hashem chose precisely this time to warn Aharon and the Kohanim, never, say never, say never, ever, 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 to approach the Mishkan of their own accord. Don't get sideways with Hashem. Don't try to do things apart from the righteousness he's laid down for us. He said, walk this way, talk this way, and just give me a kiss. Okay, now he didn't say that, but he did say, you know, Here's my Torah, choose life or choose death. So therefore, if you don't walk by the Torah and you try to do stuff that's in the Torah and you don't do it the appropriate way, like namely approaching the Mishkan, going in there, going into the Holy of Holies, like doing that stuff, if you do that based on your own accord, it's it's not good, okay? So therefore, just remember Romans 10.3 and now remember Devarim 6.25. What does Hiskuni say? Because I love that he he commented on the phrase, and it will be a righteousness for us. Mm. I love it. What is that connected to? Because the previous verse starts with a Vav, which starts with a Vav, starts with a Vav. Oh my gosh. Vav starts with a Vav. Nope. Okay. Verse 20. So in order to understand verse 25, you start in verse 20. Anytime you see a Vav, it's connected to the what's before it. So it says, um, when in time to come, your children ask you, what is the meaning of the decrees, the laws, and the rules that Hashem, our God, has enjoined upon you? You shall say to your children, we were slaves to Paro and Mitzrayim, and the Lord freed us from Mitzrayim with a mighty hand. Side note, we're supposed to always be ready with a response for anyone who asks you about the faith you have, even if it's from your own children, apparently. And 
What is the reason? Because Hashem brought us out of Egypt. We were slaves. We were in bondage. We were in sin. We were in death. Yeah, this is some Galatian stuff. Some some Ephesian stuff. Some Philippian stuff. Okay. It says we were slaves. And then the Lord freed us with a mighty hand. And what else he do? He wrought before our eyes marvelous and destructive signs and portents and mitzrayim. He, he laid the smack down on all enemies of our soul. And then it says, and against Paro and all his household, Paro was like the man. He was basically the, the ruler of the world, if you will. And Shem was like, nope, not in my house. And then it says, and he freed us from there, which, by the way, no one ever got freed from Egypt. So much less a whole nation got freed from Egypt. That's crazy. And then it says that he might take us and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. So now he didn't set us free just so that we can be away from Egypt and do our own thing. He said, no, so you can go in the land. And when you go in the land, the land is connected to the Torah. The Torah and the land are connected to one another. They're both called an inheritance of Yaakov. It goes on to say in verse 24, we're almost there. Then Hashem commanded us to observe all these laws to revere the Lord our God for our lasting good and for our survival. I'm a survivor. I'm not going to give up. I'm on do mitzvah. I'm going to pray harder. Anyway, as is now the case. So, again, salvation came from Hashem and now we do Torah because we've been saved. And now we have a purpose for why we've been saved and namely to establish God's kingdom upon the earth. Can't do that if we're not doing the mitzvahs. Also in our verse. So now it says, and because of all that, we put all that together and now it's going to be unto us righteousness because we're going to faithfully uphold the, the whole mitzvah of Hashem. And it says, Hazot lifnei Adonai Eloheinu kasher zivanu. And this is as as Hashem has commanded us. So, and it will be righteousness for us. Amen. This verse has also not been spelled out completely. It should have read. Oh, really? It should have read, huh? Okay, so by the way, Elokeinu is another way to say Eloheinu by another layer of guarding Hashem's name. This is why you'll see Kel as a name of Hashem instead of saying El, or you'll see Shakai instead of saying Shaddai. Uh, and then you'll also see, uh, yeah, I mean, there's other ones, but just to throw those out there at you. So Elokeinu is another thing you can say. Uh, it says, and it will be righteous, and it will be a righteousness before the Lord our God when we observe. Righteousness comes when you observe. Mm. Okay, so the righteousness of Hashem is us observing Hashem's commandments. Wow, never looked at it like that before. Before the Lord our God, when we observe. In other words, Moshe holds out the promise of a great reward for keeping the Torah. I said, Moshe holds out the promise of a great reward 
for keeping the Torah. An alternate interpretation, this sentence is an appendage to the one that commenced with the question of the intelligent son in verse 20. I told you it was connected to verse 20. Moshe assures this son that there will be a great reward in store for him if he observes the various categories of commandments in the Torah about which he had inquired. This reward is the encouragement to diligently study and observe the Torah. Mm-mm-mm. Moshe assures this son that there will be a great reward. That's that's crazy. All right, so that's the Devarim six twenty five. And what is Yeshayahu fifty one? Glad you asked because Romans ten three, Devarim six twenty five, and Yeshayahu fifty one one. They're all talking about the same thing. Sleeka. Gotta drink more water, I guess. Anyway, uh Shimu Eli or Eli, Shimu Eli, Rodfe Zedek Mevakshe Adonai Ha Bitu El Zur Chads or Hu Hu Zavtem Hu Zavtem Ve'el Makevet Bor Nu Kartem. Wow, that's a tough verse. <laughs> anyway, for the English people, uh, it says, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, or you who pursue justice. By the way, I said righteousness because it literally says, uh, which is again that word is the word zedaka righteousness zedek which is also translated as justice also translated as charity like pay your tithes and offerings and give zedaka that's called justice by the way and you pursue it and it says you who seek the lord so pursuing justice and righteousness and charity is seeking the Lord. And it says, look to the rock you were hewn from and to the quarry you were dug from. That is Abraham and Sarah. Because verse 2 clears that up for us. Look back to Abraham, your father, which is the rock from which you were hewn, and to Sarah, who is the quarry from where you were dug. Who brought you forth for he was only one when I called him, but I blessed him and made him many. So this is the awesomeness of Hashem right here that you think you're by yourself now, but Hashem's like, I can take one person. I can turn that one person into a whole entire nation of billions of people. Shouldn't be any uh, surprise for us. Lapidim, Chavengers, Sarshalomis, Lapid Nation. That even if we're the only one in our city right now, Hashem can make you multiply and be numerous. Because why? Because Mashiach told us we need to go make Tamadim. And when you go make Tamadim, it's an exponential thing. So just start offering holiday to people or offering candle lighting to people. Give people a way in, you know. Don't don't try to throw the whole thing at them. 
did Hashem do that to us? And if he did do that to us, we didn't do it. We started with one thing and then we worked our way up. And we failed a whole bunch of times. So we need to give people that same opportunity. Because again, everybody has fragments of Torah in them. We're all shattered tablets. And we all are working on being uh, built up in our holy faith. Because our sapphire tablet bodies coming soon. And I pray that they come sooner than later. So as we say, Hashem, please send Mashiach now. All right, that was a fake ending. But uh, that, that was a true prayer. So may the heavenlies hear our voices and may Hashem respond. All right, so the other thing I want to get to, it says... He knew that the impact of Nadav and Avihu's tragic deaths, which, among other reasons, again, this is the Midrash says, Vayikra, page 180, were a punishment for their entering the Holy of Holies on their own, would be the strongest possible deterrent to prevent the Kohanim from committing that same transgression. So it's like, it's set up like this because if Hashem just told us, okay, don't come into the holy place, don't, especially don't come into the Holy of Holies on your own, I'll give you a set time to do that. It's like, what if I do? What if I just went in there? It's like, okay, we shut down the whole party when two individuals went into the Holy of Holies when they weren't supposed to. Like, that's how serious it is. You realize Rosh Hodesh, and especially Rosh Hodesh Nisan, is supposed to be like super joyous. Like, this is the beginning of the new year for renewal. Because, again, the months is Chodesh, which comes from the word Chadash, which means to be renewed. So, literally born again, literally cleansed and made new, like a newborn babe, refreshed, if you will. All of that is the culminating in, uh, in Rosh Hodesh Nisan because that's the beginning of the months. We count the months by Nisan. And while I'm at it, because I was listening to the Aliyah Day, I know I don't need to address this, but I just thought it'd be fun to share that there was a question about why don't we count the numbers one, two, three, four, five, and all that kind of stuff. Well, the thing is, we used to count the number, the months by numbers because Hashem redeemed us from Egypt. And we were saying this is the first month of our redemption, the second month of our redemption, the third month of our redemption, which is where we were given the Torah, by the way, and the third month. So, so on and so forth. We lost that because we played the harlot. We were unfaithful. We told Hashem, no, no thank you to your redemption. We'll take slavery. We'll take idolatry. We'll take turning our back towards you, which led to us being exiled. Exiled, namely by Babylon. And again, there were years of Hashem saying, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Don't do that. Turn around. Look over here. Listen to me. Listen to me. Hey, listen. Listen. Okay. You're not. Okay. Like Hashem did that for like a long time, which is kind of interesting because how quickly do we get frustrated when someone does something that we are not appreciative of? It's like, I told you, I don't like that. Why did you do that? You know, but yet Hashem is like, oh, I can do this all day. And we're like, yeah, I know even though I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> anyway, I just, that end game line is so amazing when Captain America was fighting himself. And he's like, yeah, I know. 
Anyway, so... <laughs> oh, focus. Okay, Shomer Man, get it together. Alright, so... We lost that privilege to count the months by number because we went into exile. So now, the months have Babylonian names to remind us. Oh yeah, remember this one time Hashem redeemed you and you were like, no thank you. And then Hashem was like, well... Got to go into exile. And we we're like, no, don't do that. And Shem was like, all right, I'll bring you back. Then he brought us back. And he's like, now you need to remember that I brought you back. You need to remember I forgave you. Because you were in the very place that spawned the meanings and the names of these months now. So to say, I don't want to call the months by Babylonian names. is to say, Hashem, I never sinned before you. I never told you I didn't want your redemption. Just something to think about, you know, because Hashem is the one who was so merciful and literally brought us back from exile and captivity. So to think that, well, you know, I I don't really need to focus on that. Everything's new now. So let's just get back to where we were. And it's like, no, let's not. Let's remember the mistakes of the past and, and fix them. Because. By the way, we're still in exile means we're still not fixing it. Let's fix it. Okay. Anyway, that's a little drop on the months, even though I did not need to answer that question, but that was just a thought that popped into my head and I just thought I'd share with you because you really wanted to know. I know you did. Don't deny it. You can't deny it. You wanted to know it. So I had to tell you today. Anyway, half kidding. Mostly kidding. All right. Read the Midrash, right? Just read the letter. Read the letter. Okay. Moshe, whose spiritual level was above Aharon's, was accorded exceptional status. You may enter the Holy of Holies at any time. You wish to speak to me. Moshe could go into the Holy of Holies any time because Hashem was going to speak to him. That is the whole mitzvah, basically, by the way. Like, what trumps all of the mitzvah, well, not really trumps all of the mitzvah. Let's rephrase that because that was terrible. Uh, let's go with this. The greatest of the commandments is engaging with Hashem. And so, therefore... Moshe was accorded exceptional status and Hashem said to him, you may enter the Holy of Holies at any time you wish to speak to me. So what that means for us who try to do this Hebrews 10, 19 and Ephesians 3, 12 stuff, we need to remember if you really want to go into the Holy of Holies, then you really need to get into the Shema. That's why we do the Shema so much. You know, because it's like, I know you want to go in the Holy Holies. I know you want to go in there. And so you don't get taken out by angels and taken out by, uh, uh, what is it, negligence. Let's just focus on the Shema, because that's the way to enter into the Holy of Holies. I know it's so contrary to what we would ever think, but that is truth on 1100. Okay, so... Hashem informed Moshe, whenever you enter, desirous of hearing my word, my voice will reach you from between the Keruvim. 
Hashem's voice, by the way, this is an ankylostrop from Parashat Naso, that Hashem's voice emanating from between the Keruvim was the same power and intensity that Hashem spoke with as he spoke from Mount Sinai. So literally, if you could imagine the ark being Mount Sinai and the top of Mount Sinai being two Keruvim and Hashem spoke from it, that was all Ant-Man shrunk down into the ark and placed in the Holy of Holies in the Mishkan. So literally Mount Sinai fit in the Holy of Holies, basically. At least the experience of it. The the Mishkan and the temple, by the way, are meant to be the Sinai experience. So, Holy of Holies, and it's all about desiring to hear Hashem's word. Today, if you will hear his voice, like we should want to hear Hashem's voice. And the way we hear Hashem's voice is through the Shema. Like, that is that is our aim, that is our prime goal. That's why that is the prayer that we say at least twice a day, if not more. So just breaking out into Shema Yisrael. Like continuing on, like so much in that. Why do you think we cover our eyes when we do that? Because you're not supposed to look at Hashem because no man can see Hashem and live. So what we're already insinuating, implying, and inferring as we uphold the custom of reciting the Shema, we're saying, oh, Hashem is going to descend into our midst. We're going to go into the Holy of Holies. And we are not allowed to just see that. That's why we cover our eyes when we say the Shema. That's ridiculous. Oh, can't can't do this at the moment. But I, okay, I'm better now. I can do this. Can't do this all day like Captain America, but... uh. I can copy what he does and, and hang in there. You know what? I'll just copy his fight moves. That way I won't have to do this all day. <laughs> what is wrong with me? I'm rambling. I am rambling. Rambo. Lynn. Okay. So, I can do this all day and I love Hashem and I do want to hear his voice. And I pray that we all want to hear his voice. All right, Hebrews 10. Can we just read it? This this literally is my final point. That's probably why I'm just kind of like taking forever because I'm like, I don't want it to end. <clears throat> By the way, that's how I feel about Torah study. I'm like, I don't want it to end. I don't want to go eat. I don't want to go take a shower. I don't want to go do like other stuff. I just want to sit here. Anyway, you're just getting to know everything about me. I should just go ahead and tell you. My favorite foods, holla, pancakes, gummy bears, done. Didn't take long, did it? Here's what the verse says. What the verse say? All right, sorry, I'm, I'm turned up, y'all. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have boldness to enter into the Kadosh Kodashim. Kadosh Kodashim. Uh, hang on I'm double checking the way I'm saying this phrase because I'd be wanting to say where is it it was just here did you just disappear on me wow Kodesh HaKodeshim. 
that your final answer? Yes, that's my final answer. So, it's uh, boldly entering into the Kodesh HaKodeshim by the blood of Yeshua. Mm. What's the blood of Yeshua, by the way? I'm glad you asked. It is the oral Torah. Because the life of the Messiah is in his blood, right? The life of the Torah is in the oral Torah. That's why the oral Torah is called eternal life. And through Messiah, through the voice of Hashem, through our cleaving and attaching ourselves to him, we're granted eternal life. That's why it says he's in, he has placed eternal life within us. Yeah, that bracha right there. Yeah, that's what that means. It says he inaugurated a new and living way, which means... It's always been there. It's just now revealed to us. Just like the Torah has always been there. And at Mount Sinai, it was revealed to us. Namely to the whole world. Because before, it was just in with uh, Noah, with Shem, which is the son of Noah. So the original Noahide is Shem, which is the whole Torah, by the way. So if you're telling the Noahide is only seven laws, then that's not being really honest. Because the sons of Noah knew the whole entire Torah. It's just, did they do it? Well, only one of them did. And the other one was destined to have his descendants come into the tents of Shem and learn from there. Who did Shem directly teach it to? Oh, yeah. This guy named Abraham who taught it to his children. So, Torah's always been around, but it was revealed to the whole entire world through Mount Sinai and through the Messiah. Uh, as Ishpela Shlita always likes to say that Mashiach Yeshua is a walking Sinai, a walking Mount Sinai. And I was like, yeah, that's why the dead were raised. The sick were healed. The lame were able to walk and the blind were given sight. And there was all sorts of uh, wonders always performed in his midst. And namely, the voice of God spoke from his throat. Just like it did from Moshe, just like it did from the top of the mountain, just like it did from the top of the ark. Anyway, so this way through the curtain that is his flesh. The curtain, that's the parochia, which is the path into the Holy of Holies, the Kodesh, Kodashim, HaKodashim. And that's the flesh of the Messiah. That's why he has a piercing in his flesh. And that's why the parochit of the Beta Magdash tore from top to bottom. Because if you pierce the Messiah, you're piercing the curtain. Also, you need to know that there were two parochits. Yes, there was a Mashiach ben Yosef parochit and a Mashiach ben David parochit. Both were torn and both are uh, get us into the holy place. So, with all that being said, you want to go boldly into the Holy of Holies and do this Hebrews thing, you need to do the Shema, and you need to be desirous of hearing Hashem, and know also that the Holy of Holies is your mouth, and so when you're when the Shema and your mouth are interacting with one another, you are literally before Hashem in the Holy of Holies. And Ephesians 3.12, the letter to Ephesus, here's what he say, in him, we have boldness and access with confidence through trusting in him 
So I ask you not to be discouraged by my troubles on your behalf. They are your glory. So just in the midst of that, you can see that the boldness and the access is through the body of the Messiah, which again was Hebrews ten nineteen, which is the Shema, which is today desiring to hear Hashem's voice. And by the way, every time you do the Shema, you literally get deliverance from Egypt. So you're literally ready for the return of the Messiah at the conclusion of the Shema. So every night before we retire and every morning when we arise, we're ready. If, if Messiah should come at any day, any time, at any hour, if you're doing the Shema, you're already ready. But if you're not, then you're not ready. And if you're not doing the Shema, you're not able to enter into the Holy of Holies. You don't have access to Hashem and you don't belong to the Messiah. So let's work on that. Let's adjust that because tis the season to make shuva. Lie, 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 lie. Okay. Like, that's truth. I know lie sounds like you're saying a lie, but no, it's uh, a nagoon in Hebrew. Like, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, please send Mashiach now.